Amen. So the usher is going to come forward. Let's give out of how God has given to us. It's all from him. It's all for him. Uh, and so we want to be grateful for everything God's given to us. If you're here for the first, second, or third time and you got that connection card as you walked in, uh, go ahead and fill that out over the remainder of the service. And then as you head outside today at the info table that Jay was talking about, there will be some really nice people there. And we've got a gift for you to say thanks so much for joining us today. You can just drop that off, take your gift, and head to your car. And we're really glad that you're here with us today. So all that stuff taken care of. Today is Pentecost. It is one of the four big days in the scope of the world, in my opinion. First one is when the world started. That's pretty important because if that doesn't happen, nothing else happened. Second big day is when Jesus rose from the dead. That changed everything for all eternity, for everything. The fourth big day uh, is when Jesus returns and makes the world new uh, and Christians go to heaven with him. And the third one, which we skipped, is Pentecost. Pentecost is the birthday of the church. And to put Put it in totally simple terms that we can all understand. Pentecost is when God gets personal with us. Pentecost is when God gets personal with you and me. Because what happened on Pentecost was God went from being this thing that's out there that we try to reach out and we try to live our lives to, 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 to please and to worship. He moved from there into our hearts to live inside of us. And so Pentecost happens, if you're following on your notes, the first point is because God, because uh, God moved. There are a ton of verses on your outline today. I'm gonna read a bunch of verses today because uh, a lot of people have a lot of hesitation around the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit and you think like automatically, you're gonna make me do something crazy. I'm out, I like to be in control of my life. Uh, and so all these verses are here in the best way possible for me to say, feel free to fact check everything I say. Like, this is for the person who wants to look up everything. Uh, and so the Pentecost is about God moving. At the very beginning of the Bible, the beginning of human history, we see God living just kind of wherever he wanted to. He's not bound by space and time. So God would just kind of hang out and visit people as, as situations needed. And so Genesis 1-2, the second book of the Bible, it explains this. It says, The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. And so God would do that, and he would show up, and he would talk to people. He'd call them by name and just kind of drop in unexpectedly as a guest and, and bring them good news and, and, and talk to them and have a relationship with them. And from there, God went to living with this specific group of people, the nation of Israel. He went to living in a tent, what they called the tabernacle, which means the meeting place. Because now instead of God dropping in and calling your name, Abraham, Abraham, Adam, Moses, Noah, kind of whoever, God would now have a place. God moved from nowhere to a tent. And we read about this in Exodus 25, 8, the second book of the Bible, where God says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. And that begins as a tent. And we've talked about this all the time. The reason that you live in a tent is because one day you're going to live in a house. Like that, that's the plan is you go camping temporarily to then move into a house. My, camp, my family is going camping next week. And right after we sleep in a tent, we are sleeping in a house because that's the normal trajectory of things is that's what God does. Exodus, he moves into a tent. A few hundred years later, he moves into a house. And it's a temple. It's a temple that the King Solomon builds for him. And when he moves in, when his spirit moves in, it says this in 2 Chronicles 5.14, The priests could not continue their service, their work, because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. So we see this trajectory. He goes from just being the spirit above the water to now the spirit in a tent where he can meet with people to now he's filling this massive, perfect, huge, cost millions of dollars to build today, temple. And that's where God lives. 
but God continues to move. After that, we get to see God live with skin on in the person of Jesus. Jesus came, it says in John 1.14, which is the next verse in your thing, uh, that the word who is Jesus, who is God, became flesh, that Jesus is God with skin on and lived among us. So now we want to look at the spirit of God. We see God hovering above the water at the very beginning and just kind of dropping into people, to then God living in the tent, to then God living in the multi-million dollar temple, and now God goes to live among his people with skin on to live like you and me. And this is the point where we think like everything is awesome. Because Jesus is walking around with people. Jesus is physically touching people. Jesus is bringing back into community people who had been ostracized and cast out of relationship with people for decades. It's the spirit of God going to bring the kingdom of God about in the lives of the people of God. And everyone around him at this point thought that this is going to be the best ever because now God is personal and God is like us and God is walking around among us. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen God But that's not where we're going to stop. It's going to be better. Jesus tells his followers at one point, it's going to be good for you that I leave. And if I was there, I would have just kind of skipped that part and deleted it and said, you know what, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's probably been a long walk. It's the summer. He lives in a desert, probably lots of time out in the sun. Let's just pretend that one didn't happen. He might not have said that right. But he says, no, no, it's going to be better for you that I leave. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus begins to teach his people, teach his followers, teach us thousands of years later reading the book that God wrote about the Holy Spirit. And this is something that was on him from the very beginning when Jesus gets baptized. Here we baptize kids uh, starting uh, as soon as they graduate junior high to people as, long, as late in life as they would like to be baptized. If you're a Christian here, you're out of junior high and you're, you would say that you're a follower of Jesus, we would love for you to get baptized. You can talk to me, uh, Pastor Tim, Pastor Greg, or talk to somebody at the welcome table as we head out today. We'd love to get you prepped for our next baptism. But at Jesus' baptism, he's walking into the gathering, and the guy who's running it, a guy named John, he says that someone soon is coming greater than I am. He's talking about Jesus, who's so much greater than I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. John is, is looking ahead to Jesus, looking ahead to the work that Jesus will do, and he's, he's saying even before Jesus is a, anybody on the scene, He's saying, this guy is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus explains to us what the Holy Spirit is in John 14, which is the next verse on your thing. He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him. Because he lives with you now and later will be in you. He's saying, you know God because you know me. And later, coming to live inside of you is going to be the power and the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit to live inside of each of us. It's this movement of God from hovering, living in space and living above the, above the water and constantly dropping into people to now living in a tent, to then living in a temple, to then living with skin on like you and me and the person of Jesus. And he's saying, now it's soon going to be inside of you. This movement of God is going to continue where God now lives inside of you and me and people who call themselves Christians. And then Jesus says, it's best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. It's God coming to live in us. 
And it's Jesus saying those words that if a stalker were to say, it's completely terrifying. But if Jesus says it, it gives us hope. He says to his people before he leaves the earth, he says, look at me. I'm going to be with you always. Think that, a dude in the dark wearing a low hat and a trench coat. That's really, really scary. But Jesus saying, I'm going to be with you always. And at that moment, he's talking about the Holy Spirit coming to live in us. We celebrate Pentecost today because it's the movement of God from going to being totally out there to in a tent, in a place where you have to go and do a bunch of stuff to get to meet, to now living like Jesus or living as Jesus, to then living inside of us. It's the culmination of God's relationship with people that God moves inside of Christians. And this happened on the day of Pentecost. At Pentecost, people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that moment completely changed them. For all of us, we received the Holy Spirit at conversion. Romans 8, 9, it says that we cannot say that Jesus is our Savior except through the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you are here and you say that you're a Christian, and if you're not, that's totally fine because we, we made this place for you to learn about Jesus and one day trust Jesus with your life. But if you can say that Jesus is your Lord, you're doing that because of the Holy Spirit in you. So we receive the Holy Spirit at conversion, but there's a moment of power that comes with it. There's a moment of power that follows that. It's like when you're trying to light a pilot light, you get it lit and it's this small little thing and then eventually you turn the gas on and the pilot light goes from this little thing to being this huge thing that will heat your whole house. Jesus is saying that's what the Holy Spirit is going to be like. That's what we see the Holy Spirit like throughout the Bible. And so we, the day of Pentecost, that happens post-resurrection. What's happened up to this point is that Jesus did his ministry. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He died a death on a cross in our place because of us and, and in place of us. That Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to. And then three days later, Jesus did what we could never do, which is Jesus rose from the dead to defeat sin, to defeat death, to defeat the devil in our lives so that we could live in victory with him. And now this is the part of, of history where he's walking around with his people. He's with Christians, he's with God people for about 10 days, and then he ascends back to heaven. And before he goes back, uh, he's with his people, and they're excited. They've got joy, but they've got no direction. And so it says this in Acts 1, verse 4. It says, once Jesus was eating with, the, with them, with his disciples, and he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, that's his followers, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. So something right there that jumps out to me big time is that these people have seen the risen God. They've seen Jesus rise from the dead. They've seen the one who paid for their sins. They have the Holy Spirit inside of them but their priorities are all messed up. Jesus has sent them into the world to tell everyone with a pulse that he loves them and he's forgiven of them of their sin and inviting them into relationship. And their reaction is, God, when are you gonna come and kill the Romans? Like, we want you back in charge. It's still totally selfish. It's still totally me-focused. And that's not how the church grew. How the church grew is what happened after that. Next verse, verse seven. Or verse 8. So the Father's going to come back, all that stuff. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's saying there's going to be a change. There's going to be something different. You're going to be going from me-focused to others-focused, and that's what's going to change the entire world. 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That doesn't just happen because Jesus says, hey, you should go do this. That happens because there's a moment of power that comes from the Holy Spirit into their lives. And that's what happens in the next chapter. Acts 2, verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each one of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. It's the moment of power from the Holy Spirit evidenced by them spilling out into their community around where they're meeting, speaking in tongues. What's tongues? It's speaking in tongues is a gift of the Holy Spirit given to Christians, enabling them to speak to God in a language that they've never learned. This could be a human language like Spanish or French or Portuguese or an angelic language. It's a prayer language by which the Holy Spirit uses the gift of tongues to communicate to God through us. And what had happened in this moment was they received languages that they didn't know. And we're going to get into that in a bit. They, they leave the room where they're at. They spill out into the community. And what's going on there is there's the festival of Pentecost where people from all over uh, different countries, different languages, different ethnicities are in Jerusalem. And so all these Holy Spirit people filled, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit filled people go out into their community and they're speaking to people in the language that they understand. They're telling them the good news about Jesus in words that they understand. And there's two reactions to this. And they're both in the Bible. First one is this is amazing. But this is happening. We're hearing God's words in our own language. And the second reaction, which is in the Bible, it shows you that, that God worked with humans to write this. Because if this was something fabricated, like we would have never included this part. But they look at it and say, these people that are speaking these unknown languages, they're just drunk. That's all. And it's only 9 a.m., so this isn't right. We shouldn't get behind this at all. It's in the Bible, book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 19. You remember these verses when you're a snarky, snarky high schooler. So Peter, who used to be scared of everything, he preaches and he explains to people what's actually happened. That Jesus came as the fulfillment of prophecy telling people that God was going to come and God was going to bring us back to him. Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again so that we could have a relationship with God. And under the whole power of the Holy Spirit, he does all this and 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. And the church is born. This happened because the Holy Spirit brings the power of God into our lives. It's God moving in. And not, not just like a, a wimpy God moving in, but a powerful God moving in. Ephesians 1, 19 to 20. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. And that's a lot of messed up people who are saying that, yeah, that's me. I'm part of that us. And that's God's power coming to work in us, for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. He's saying the power that raised Jesus from the dead moves into our lives and changes us from the inside. It's God inside of us. It's God with the line that that can only be good coming from him. I will be with you always. I'm never going to leave you. And it's good because it's from God. And so what is it? It brings the power of God into our life. First off, it brings power to do the work of Jesus. 
This is spiritual gifts. This is wiring from God to do the work of Jesus in our lives. Romans 12, the guy who's writing this gives a perfect example that we can understand because we have it all with us. Uh, Just as your bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. He's saying the part of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to give us passion to serve God. Part of the reason that Mountain View Sunnyside as a church exists is because there are men and women who who function in their spiritual gifts, function with passion, function who do the stuff that they do because they want to do it, because God has put inside of them a desire to lead in the areas where they are leading. And part of the work of the Holy Spirit is it gives us a passion for ministry, a passion for doing the work that Jesus did to tell others about who Jesus is, to, to bring others into God's kingdom, to do the teaching, to do the helping, to do the work, to do the administration, to say the things from God that need to be said to a group that are sometimes difficult to say. All these things are from God, and it's power from God into our lives to do the work that Jesus would do. I mean, for me, this is, this is where a lot of it changed, and really that little flame became a huge fire. Because when, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I saw the stuff in the Bible happening in my life. My life. And nobody knew how messed up my life was more than me. But still, I get to see God moving into my heart. You know, it's God above the water, God in the tent, God in the temple, God in Jesus. All these things make sense, and then God in me. And it's like, what? That's where the record scratches, you know? It's like God actually living inside of me to make me more like him. To do the work that Jesus would have all of us to do. It's power for holiness. What's Jesus say about about the Holy Spirit is that it's going to convict us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. So I was thinking about this this week because judgment is one of those words in our society which is never, ever good. You're so judgmental. Hasn't been a compliment in years, all right? So here the Holy Spirit is supposed to bring judgment into our lives. Let's change the wording on this. Let's make it more 2019. He will bring you a hug that is acceptable as long as you like hugs. Other than that, it's a fist bump if you don't like fist bumps. No, it's, it's judgment. And the reason that judgment is a good thing is because we have, if we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, that means we already say that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is our boss. So Jesus to judge us means that he's coming to separate right from wrong in our lives. I think the, the, the most simple way to understand it is Jesus, our Father, perfect Father. So think of your dad, but absolutely perfect, coming, putting his arm around you and saying, son, daughter, this right here in your life, this isn't how we do it in our family. This is how we do it in our family. Let me help you do it this way. We look at judgment, and, and from God, it's a good thing. He's giving us the desire and the power to live life the way that God created us to, our perfect Heavenly Father, judging us in a way that we walk away feeling good, walk away feeling loved. That's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Third is the power for intimacy. We look at that word, and it's kind of been corrupted, but it's a power for intimacy. And this is where we get into tongues and prophecy. We talked a little bit about prophecy in one of the previous verses. And 1 Corinthians 14 explains it really well. 
In verse 1, it says, But you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Prophecy is human words used to report something that God brings to mind and communicate a future and, create, and communicate hope. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you, which is actually a good thing that I'm going to get back to. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you're saying so that the whole church will be strengthened. Skip to 15. Well, then what should I do? I'm going to pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray in words I understand. I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand. For if you please God only in spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You'll be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. So what's gone on in this church? Because that suddenly sounds like it's not a very tongues-friendly thing. Like, why are we talking about this if the Bible talks against it? What's gone on in the church of Corinth, and we have to kind of put ourselves there to understand, is that the place had basically gone tongues-crazy. Instead of speaking the language of people, because now I'm speaking English and everyone in here can understand, even though it's fast, because I'm excited. This is a great day. People can understand. What had happened was they had started doing their whole service in tongues, kind of treating it like kindergarten artwork. Not your kids' artwork, but you know those kindergartners who cannot do artwork whatsoever. You look at it and you're like, that makes no sense. I don't get this whatsoever. And the parents are like, this is amazing. We're going to let him paint the whole side of our house because he's such a great artist. And you're like, I don't get it. I really just don't. I, I don't get it. Maybe it's me, but I don't get it. And so what had happened was they had given their whole service over to speaking in tongues. And Paul comes in, the guy who's writing this, he's a traveling missionary guy who starts more churches than I have hair on my head, you know, like when I was 15. And, uh, and he comes in and he says, you're abusing the gift. Because what it is, it's, it's this gift from Jesus. It's a language that's pure. It's a language that we've never sworn in. A language that we've never gossiped in or lied in from Jesus to us to communicate with Jesus. It's the only spiritual gift that's meant to strengthen us individually. And so when we pray in tongues, we're strengthened. When we pray in tongues around other people, they'll look at us and say, I don't have a clue what you're saying. God, give me an interpretation. And then God speaks the English words to us that are in an interpretation of what the person is praying. And this is a gift that, that is self-edifying, self builds us up. It's pure it's heavenly, and it's evidence of the Holy Spirit in you, and it's a good gift. The whole passage starts with the guy who's writing it, Paul, saying, saying that you should eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You should eagerly desire these things, and tongues in one, is one of them because it's power for intimacy with God. It's a language that we have, that, that God speaks to us through it. And today we get to choose how we respond to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is talking about this before, before it was a thing. He's, he's speaking in advance. He's prophesying about it. And he says this in Luke 11. He says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, it should be a good thing. Like we like to give gifts to our kids. If you're a parent, it's a good thing. How much more will your heavenly Father get the whole, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? 
He's saying, my, my love for you, my ability to provide for you, my desire to give gifts to you is so much bigger than you can understand. So if you come to me and ask for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive it, and you're going to receive it in abundance because I am an abundantly gift-giving God. And so out of that, today we get to respond. And we're going to close with some worship. The prayer usher is going to be on the side. And how it's going to work uh, is we're going to walk through a formula. This isn't like a prescriptive, you have to do these things. This is a way of us getting our hearts right to receive from the Lord. So we're going to start with praise. Just one sentence per person, just bouncing around the circle, telling God how great he is. Because that gets our hearts right. That gets our minds on who Jesus is, who God is. And it invites God's presence into the situation. We're going after the presence of Jesus today. And so we're inviting him in with our praise. Second thing is surrender. I don't know how to surrender. Where do I do that? You are already prepared because you brought your body with you. And that's how we do it. We say, God, I'm going to give you my mind. I'm giving you the things that I think about because I want to think thoughts from you. I'm giving you my eyes because I want to look at good things and not look at bad things. I want to see things the way that you do. I'm giving you my ears because I want to hear from you. I'm giving you my voice because I want to say words that are clean. I'm surrendering my words to you. I'm giving you my heart because I want to care about the things that you care about. I'm giving you my sexuality to be used the way that you created it to in, in marriage between a man and a woman. And I'm giving you my feet to go everywhere where you send me. This is us surrendering our lives to God, to, to put ourselves in a place to receive from God. We praise, we surrender, and we repent. That's the third thing. And we repent, and today we're going to repent around the ways that we have made fun of or pushed away God's Holy Spirit. We've invited his presence here, and we want to clear out anything in our lives that's preventing God's Holy Spirit from taking over. And the best part about this is that when we repent, God doesn't meet us with anger and with a fist. He's a shepherd who leads us to what's right. He's not a butcher who's going to kill us for the things that we've done in our lives. He's a shepherd, so he's going to lead us into light as we confess darkness. And then we ask. We say, okay, God, this is what I want. I encourage you today, if you're on the fence, what to ask for. Man, swing for the fences. Let's ask for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives, specifically through the gift of tongues. Let's see God's power poured out on us. Let's not stop short. Let's go for the whole thing and say, God, this is what I want to experience today. If there's a specific gift that you want, ask for that. Say, Jesus, this is what I want in my life. This is what I want strength to do in my life, and I want that strength to come from you. But I'm encouraging us today, let's swing for the fences, let's go big. And the last thing is we yield, we praise, we surrender, we repent, we ask, because Jesus says ask, and we yield. This is the diving board moment, all right? We're standing on the edge, knees are shaking, hands are shaking. And if you've asked for the Holy Spirit to come onto your life in power, specifically through the gift of tongues, the people who are praying for you are going to begin to pray over you in the Spirit. And God's not going to reach his hands down from heaven and start shaking your vocal cords to make you talk. This is where we yield to God's presence and we begin to speak out the, the words, the sounds that we feel like God is putting in us. If you're asking for the gift of prophecy, then, that, then yielding in this is, is asking God for a word for the people that are praying for you. They're not going to be offended. Let's yield. Let's try this. Let's step into God's ability to, to rule our lives, to run our lives, and to empower our lives. We yield. If we want healing, if we're asking for gifts of healing to be able to heal others, find someone this week who's sick and pray for them. Let's test out these gifts. But that's what we're looking at. We're looking at praise. We're looking at surrender. We're looking at repentance. We're looking at asking. We're looking at yielding. And we're looking at responding to the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Let's stand and let's pray.